I'm Brooke McLaughlin, an author, speaker, teacher, and small town girl from the mountains of Appalachia. Over the years, I've had the privilege of encouraging countless moms toward a richer prayer life, helping them catch a vision for the partnership God invites them into as they become praying moms. Prayer is action all by itself, and our prayers can impact the people we love most for generations to come. I created the Million Praying Moms podcast because prayer is one of the most overlooked parts of Christian parenting today. Let's change that together. My goal is to help you see prayer not as a last resort, but as your first and best response. If you have questions about prayer or motherhood, if you need help taking the first steps toward a praying life, or if you want to know how to pray for specific needs affecting our children in today's culture, you're in the right place, friend prayer warrior or mom who's just starting the journey. All are welcome here. Let's get started. I am a child of the 90s. Yes, I know. I just dated myself, but I think knowing that will be helpful as we dive into today's episode. Why? Because I came out of the purity movement of the 90s. Most of my teenage years were spent hearing that true love waits and that roses that lose all their petals have no beauty left to give. An analogy I don't love, by the way, because it leaves God's ability to redeem and restore even things that are dead totally out of the picture. Over the last 10 years or so, many people who were influenced by the purity movement of the 90s have come forward saying it hurt them more than it helped them. I don't know that we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, but I want to take a deep dive look at how the messaging of that time has affected us as women what the true message of the Bible is about purity, so we can teach our children what's true and right and good, and how we can find healing if we were negatively affected by it. To have that conversation, I've invited my friend Francie Winslow to join us. Francie is a mom to six and lives in Northern Virginia with her husband, Wyatt. They have been serving the Lord in many capacities for the last 16 years of their marriage, first as missionaries in Sri Lanka and church planters, and now Wyatt serves the Lord in the marketplace, and Francie spends her time investing in her kids, discipling women, trying to figure out the secret to meal planning, amen, and is often found pouring out her heart in podcast episodes for the Heaven in Your Home podcast in her messy closet while her little ones nap. She has a master's from Wheaton College in evangelism leadership and is passionate about connecting the hearts of women to deeper intimacy with the Lord and more meaningful intimacy in their marriage. Well, Francie, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today with us. Tell everybody a little bit about you and your family and your ministry. Thanks, Brooke. Yeah. So I am married to Wyatt. We have six kiddos um, from 14 down to four. We live in Northern Virginia. And um, I have a podcast that I show up on weekly talking about sex, marriage, and the mission of God. It's called Heaven in Your Home. And I've been speaking and writing on these topics for the last 17 years or so. So that's kind of what I do most of the time, though. I'm driving my big giant Nissan Envy all over town, taking people everywhere they need to go and (laughs) trying to be a present mom and, you know, the things that we're all working on is figuring out Instacart and the strategies of (laughs) keeping our head above water so that we can uh, do life one day at a time and stay connected to our people. That's awesome. I feel like every time we talk, I remember again that we are really not that far away from each other. You live in Northern Virginia. I live in Southwestern Virginia. It might feel like they're two different countries, but they're not actually. (laughs) We're not that far away. Yeah. 
Yes, I'm so glad to have you here today. Well, Francie, I would like to start our conversation today by acknowledging that many of our listeners were raised during the purity movement of the 90s. So I'm a 90s girl, graduated in 1996, which is just a few years ago, right? right. Um, but I was definitely one of those girls that was raised, you know, came straight out of the purity movement. I remember going to True Love Weights rallies with my youth department when I was in high school. And there's a little fun fact about that. My husband and I did a skit for a True Love Waits rally that was held somewhere near our home. And I think we weren't, we were acting like we were boyfriend and girlfriend, but we were not dating yet. In fact, I'm pretty sure I was dating somebody else when that happened. So that was an interesting thing. And I I actually had this big crush on him even back then. So maybe that was prophetic. I don't know. But to be clear (laughs) about it, I do believe that purity before marriage is still absolutely God's best for us. And I really do believe that true love does wait. Like I, I do believe that true love will wait. So the buzzwords or the buzz phrases that came out of the purity movement, there's still some truth there that we can glean from. And, and we still talk about these things in my home. And my boys know that this is our hope and our prayer for them, that they will, um, that they will wait until marriage. And I think though that some people, would say that the purity movement did more harm than good. So while there's some good things that we can glean from it, some people feel like it did more harm than good. So I would like to start the conversation there. What's some of the bad and what is some of the good that came out of this movement from the church? Okay. Well, um, all the time when you're speaking of movements in the church, we are living with humans who do their very best. And so I just want to say from the beginning, I am so capable of misunderstanding what is the right way in my best attempts to do it. And so I want to be the first to extend grace because I am a human very capable of misunderstanding um, God's heart and misapplying his truth. I have lots of people in my life that have permission to speak into me and where I'm going, but I also am on a journey. And I think the church is on a journey to understanding more of God's heart, the big capital C church. And I love the church. I love the people of God. I think there's a lot of pastors who have amazing hearts and ministries who are trying their very best to interpret God's heart and apply it to our sexuality in right ways. However, Church movements happen within the context of culture. And in the 60s and 70s, it was like the free for all sex movement. And it was swung so far to one side with so much damage, whether it was health crisis of HIV AIDS or unplanned pregnancies or whatever, the church almost in a way to try to bring God into the sex conversation just swung really hard in another direction to try to right the ship because I think there was a fear. There was like the family's falling apart. The church needs to speak into this. And I think at that time, from what I understand, there were um, voices that were trying to understand what God's heart for sex was. And for sure, we know it's for marriage. So that was a big emphasis. And I think the truth of God is that marriage, and we can get into like the good news of it in a little bit, but the marriage picture is this phenomenal picture of the gospel that is unlike anything else. And the sexual union of a one man and one woman is a gospel picture. And our bodies as image bearers are gospel pictures 
but I'm not sure that in the purity movement, we understood all the beauty. We got a lot of the rules and we got a lot Mm -hmm. of the structure to curb behavior because we're afraid. And whenever we're afraid, we want to try to control and we want to try to put our hands on the situation and make it into something that we're comfortable with or we think is the right way. And I don't think it was anybody's intention to do this, but I think in addition, the Protestant church at least has really not a well thought out theology of our bodies or our sexuality. So without a theology behind our sexuality, you don't really have anything to support it except because I said so, because God's word says so. You don't have a broader vision of the compelling why. And so I think whenever you try to have perspectives that control behavior, you're going to come up legalistic and you're also going to go so far that it's probably going to do damage because we weren't made for rules. We were made for intimacy and relationship and for an inspiring, awe-inspiring God who made us in his image. And there is a beautiful picture of God's heart written on our bodies. But if we don't talk about that and we just say, don't do this with your body, don't do that with your body, we are really um, crippling the beauty of God's heart and enslaving people to rules without a broader vision of his heart. Yeah, that is such a great way to explain it. I really do believe that what you said is important, that it may have come. I think it's okay for us to believe that this came from a good place. This came from a a place of wanting to have a church, as you said, a, a capital C church response to what was happening in the culture to help Christians know how to respond to that and how to embrace something that we knew was God's plan for us, but that was being rejected in the culture. And so I I think it's a wonderful place to start. And I think this doesn't happen very often. The purity movement gets criticized so heavily, but I think it's wonderful for us to be a place that says it started out from a good place, from people who love the Lord and wanted to come up with a response for the church. And we can honor that. Even if everything that that came from it maybe wasn't good, we can honor the heart behind it. And I I don't think people are doing that a lot. So I'm glad that you said that. I'm really grateful that you mentioned that. It's a good note, positive note to start on. One of the main manuals, I guess, if you will, kind of quote unquote manuals, from that time was Joshua Harris's book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And ironically, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. Neither one of us have actually read that, but or or like I haven't read it. You may have read it, but like I read it don't even I really okay. Don't even really remember exactly. It's fine, but it, I was just like it was in high school. I barely remember all of that. But yes, right. I do know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So it was pretty wildly popular in that season. And for some people, I think its message became almost more important than what the Bible actually has to say about purity and dating and marriage. And we do that, don't we, as Christians? We so badly want there to be formulas that we can follow. We want to be able to say to the Lord, give me the A plus B equals C and I will do it. But the reality is that our lives are variables. There is not an A plus B. If you change either one of those, you're not going to get C. And so we want it. We want it so badly, but God doesn't always give us that. And I think that that's the way this this book was received by the church was an A plus B equals C kind of manual. And yet, however many years after it was released, so many people have come forward saying that its message actually hurt them. And to the point where like, it's not even 
published anymore. I don't even know that you can get it other than used copies anymore. Some people say that it caused them to believe sex, even inside of marriage, which is where God calls it holy, is bad. And they had a hard time undoing the psychological effects of that once they were in a committed marriage. So in other words, they spent so much time before they were married, just trying not to cross a line that once they were in marriage, they found the freedom of marriage difficult to embrace that because psychologically they were still in that place of this is bad. This is wrong. I have to stay away from this. So even though this book had concepts in it that were extra biblical in a sense, it filled a void for the church in that time. We wanted as believers to help our children make the very best choices that they could. And now that the purity culture is being dismantled, so to speak, I'm curious about where you think we should turn. What is the true message? If what this book talks about is adding to the message of the Bible, then what is the heart or the core of what the Bible says about purity before marriage? And how can we share it with our kids in a way that honors them and that honors God and doesn't harm them? Hmm. (laughs) Okay, Brooke. A little bit of a loaded question. What you just set up, we could speak literally, we could meet together every month and continually, like years actually, and not mind the depths of God's healing for us that he has. I'm going to speak from my story largely and from women who I've spoken to and who've reached out to me. I have the unlikely ministry of talking about this every week. I never expected to do this. I was raised in the purity culture. I actually did kiss dating goodbye, and it wasn't because I read his But I genuinely wanted Jesus more than boys. And I had boys and I'm like, I just want Jesus more. And I really want to give him my heart. So I was a part of a purity ministry in high school where I was speaking to girls my age about the father heart of God. And I will say that that was not a corrupted, twisted scene for me in terms of confusion of, you know, rules. However, I was in the soup, as I call it, like I was in the culture, I was in the soup. And so even though my heart was genuinely for Jesus And I didn't feel oppressed. I got married at a young age. And in the back of my head was, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. In the back of my story was a real significant shame of a history of masturbation. Mm -hmm. And this feeling of, I have done something that nobody has done. And I should never have done that. And I am like shameful for even thinking about it or being interested in like that part of my body. And it was just... I think in the soup that I was raised in, um, in the nineties and the early two thousands, it was just so impossible for me to put sex and God together without shame. Mm -hmm. And because it was, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And so for a while it was actually okay for them to be in different categories because I wasn't having sex. I was trying so hard not to, but when I got married, I had to come face to face with that disconnect that in the process of trying to be pure, I had actually disconnected pretty severely from my body. And that is not just a problem that you and I have. That's a problem that goes back way to the early church. And it's called Gnosticism. And it's based in Plato's reality of thinking that the body is bad and the spirit is good. And we're going to elevate things of the spirit. And we're going to elevate things of the mystical realm. And we're going to shame or disconnect from things of the body because it's things of the earth. And we get confused in the scriptures where the Bible talks about the um, you know sowing seeds into the flesh versus in the spirit. It's not your sex life. It's not your sexuality. It is the carnal side of you that hasn't submitted to God. 
but God made you sexual and emotional and with a personality and with interest. All of that is beautiful when you are submitted to God. And so having the invitation from God as a very young bride to say, God, I'm not sure I get your heart on this. And it's actually causing me deep places of shame and confusion. And I needed a lot of inner healing work. And that's been my journey for the last 17 years that God has not stopped having that conversation with me. And so I guess I just want to say on one hand, there is healing and it can start today where God begins to plant a seed of truth in your heart, where he doesn't want your body and your spirit to be in different different hemispheres. He wants to integrate us. He made us mind, body, and spirit to be his image bearers. And what that means theologically is beautiful and mind-blowing, but really where the rubber meets the road is, do I believe it in the most intimate places of my life when the bedroom door is closed? Do I invite God in? And so that's been my healing journey. And What's beautiful is that I've been healed and I'm being healed. And every year, Brooke, I have an amazing husband and we're growing together and I'm still seeing places where God is pursuing to heal my heart. And it's not that I waited to have sex and then I have awesome sex life. It's that I came to marriage and I said, God, come into my sex life. And he is making it awesome as he's healing us. And so getting back to that formula, the formula is not be abstinent, equals great sex life. It is invite God in and invite him to heal you and to integrate your mind, body, and spirit because he made it all and he called it good and invite him to do that healing work often with a counselor because we can't even process our own stories on our own very easily. But um, yeah, I think that's where it began for me is realizing, wow, I am really good at being Christian, but not good at being a sexual female. For so long, my sexuality or my femininity was, I believed, was a stumbling block. I was even in a ministry for a little while that had so much good about it and so much legalism about it. And I was put on like an X list of women who were potential like temptations. Oh <laughs> and so like, guys were like, don't talk to her if you see her or whoever's making Anyway, it's just very legalistic. And so to see my body and my beauty, my femininity as a beautiful image bearing gift of God has been a healing journey. And it's, it's not in theory, it's in the most intimate ways. Can I receive that? Can I embody that and share that and enjoy that with my husband? And it has been um, quite a journey and God invites us to continually invite him in because he's not here to scold us or shame us, but to restore us to that Eden vision of naked and unashamed. Today's episode is brought to you by our Pray the Word calendar, a monthly scripture-inspired prayer calendar designed to take the how-to and the what-to out of praying God's Word for your family. If you want to be a praying mom but don't know how to pray or what to pray or just struggle to find the time to figure it all out, this is for you. Available only to our Patreon members, Pray the Word calendars are exactly what they sound like. Each month, our members get a brand new printable prayer calendar that leads them in praying through an entire book of the Bible. Starting in March, we'll be praying through the third part of the book of Psalms, chapters 73 through 106. Don't worry if you miss the first and second part of the Psalms. You can get access to all of our prayer calendars when you join. Get your 25-day Psalms prayer calendar right away and watch the power of God begin to move in your life. You can find the link in today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Yeah, I love hearing your story, Francie. You share it so beautifully. And 
And I think the way you share it, like I'm just watching you. I know not everybody else is getting the opportunity to watch you talk about this, but it's clear to me, even just in the way you present yourself, how passionate you are about this because it has to do with your relationship with Christ and the goodness that God has shown you in that. So let's let's take a step back because one of the things that you have told me many times is that um, as mothers, and we do get some men who listen from time to time, but most of the people who are listening now are mothers. So as women, we can only take our children as far as we've gone. So part of my question was, what do we give to our children? What is the correct message that we give to our children? But if we're not in a place of healing ourselves, then we don't have a lot to give our children on this subject. So let's go off script just for a second and talk about some practical ways for the mom that is listening right now and identifies with your story. Maybe if it looks a little bit different, but but there was kind of this line of demarcation that says like before sex is bad, after sex is good. If I wait until I'm married, I'm going to have amazing sex. And maybe she's not there. Maybe that hasn't been her experience or she realizes that much of what you've said is true for her and that she needs to invite the Lord in because there's a disconnect there between spirit and body. And she looks at it exactly the way that you just explained it. What are some practical steps that she can take to get to a better place of healing in this? Not only so that she has something she can share with her children, that's a good thing, but really just because she wants everything that God has for her as a valuable human being and woman of God herself. How does she get there? Okay. I want to give you practicals. And yet this is what the purity culture did is they gave practicals without theology. And so Mm -hmm. I have to start with a little bit of theology to boost the practicals because without the theology, the practicals are just more things to do. Mm -hmm. So we have to integrate. So here's where you back it up is that what does every single human on the planet have in common beyond gender, ethnicity, race is that you have a body. And we know from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, did you know that? And I have a little rap for kids. I have a children's album coming out very soon that's music that will help you learn this theology through scripture, through song, so that it can become culture in your home to connect theology to our bodies. Because that was the cry of my heart. I was like, God, I know that you're after this sex topic. I know that homosexuality is not pleasing to you, but I don't know your heart on this. And that's when he really started breaking it out for me. He was like, you know, it is not about because the Bible says so, period. It is about this Genesis to Revelation story of God's heart. And in his infinite wisdom, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the very beginning of Garden Eden, the place of delight, their love was so powerful that it exploded and overflowed into this creation of a man and then a woman. And he put his very hands on this man and woman and put his lips on the man and breathed his life and said, boom, I mark this man and woman with my image. So a man and a woman carry the image of God on their bodies. God is an invisible God who longs to make himself visible. So he put his image on the body of a male and a female so that there could be God revelation on the earth through masculinity, femininity, sexuality, family, all of it. 
It's not a dirty thing. Sexuality is not a dirty thing. You can say that word in your household a million times. You can say the word sex, gender, sexuality, and know that this is God's. This is God's ordained venue of revelation of himself. And that's why there's so much battle for it. That's why there's so much confusion and hatred is because it's the very mechanism that God chose to reveal himself through the body of a male and a female. And then as if that weren't enough, he came thousands of years later in the body of a man to show us what it looks like to carry the spirit of God in our bodies on the earth. That is where I start with my children. That's where I have to start even with myself when I get so twisted up in my own shame and remember it is breathtaking that I as a woman carry the beauty of God. And my husband as a man in his masculine body carries the strength of God, the father heart of God, the mothering heart of God. We display that on the earth. And so I start with my littlest ones of, did you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Your body is a God carrier. You are not your own. That's the gospel. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Every child at every age can glorify God with their body. It is only when they get to like high school, college age, where they're going to be making the decision of how am I going to use my body sexually? But when they're little, they can understand what it is to glorify God with your body. So we talk about how our bodies are God carriers and how our bodies are walking, talking God encounters because the Holy Spirit lives in our bodies. And how do we show God's love? Through our body. So Brooke, as an adult married woman, how do you show God's love to your husband? You for sure pray for him. Mm -hmm. We talk about that at Million Problem Moms Pray, but you show him the love of God, the comfort of God with your hands, Mm -hmm. with your body in the sexual union. That's how God ordained us to share his love with one another. And it's pure and it's beautiful. But when you're a three-year-old or a seven-year-old, you can show God's love with your body as you make muffins and deliver them to your neighbor. Through your eyes, how your eyes are gentle and kind with your friend. Through your mouth, how you speak words of life. All of these qualities, head to toe, every bit of our bodies are made to speak. And we talk about that all the time. Your body is speaking loud and clear. I see you because if one of my kids has her arms crossed and her face is shut down and she's got a scowl, she doesn't have to say a word. Her body is speaking. Mm -hmm. So this is all theology of our bodies. We cannot just say we're going to talk about sex because sex is an act that happens to be really powerful, but it's not the whole story because we are all sexual from the time we're born to the time we die our season of life where we're actually sexually active might be small. Or if you're celibate and single your whole life, you might not be sexually active, but you are a sexual person with the imprint of God on your sexuality as a male and a female, because God wants to reveal his love to you and through you with your body. So I think getting very comfortable with talking about the body is a big step for us. It was a big step for me. I remember early in the days, it was just saying the word body almost felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just reeks of the Mm -hmm. enemy. It reeks of the one who hates our image bearing glory because he's like, don't It even says in a scripture, I'm drawing the blank right now, but the enemy is the one who denies that Christ came in a body because he hates embodied love because that is where the power of God resides is in the body of Christ given for us so that we know what a cruciform life looks like, that we give our bodies. As mothers, we give our bodies. We show our children our love with our bodies as we nurse them at our breast, as we hold them with our arms, as we kneel down in front of them, our bodies are communicating. So that is the foundation of everything is that our bodies are 
um, symbolic. Some people would say sacramental. They are visible things that point to an invisible reality. And they are going to be raised in the dead. Like they're going to be in the future in a glorified form. They're a big deal. And so I think understanding that is the foundation. When you start seeing that, you'll start seeing all of scripture differently because you'll start seeing how God's design was good and how the enemy is constantly trying to sabotage the beauty of God displayed through people because he doesn't often come with like feathers and fairy dust. He comes through people. And he comes through relationships and he came through a baby and a mother Mary who was submitted to him and people down the line who've given their lives and love for him with what they did with their bodies. So I think that is the bigger conversation that really flips the script on the purity narrative is not being obsessed about sex, but giving the body the central part in our theology that God ordained for it to have, because that is how God has chosen to live with us. We, he now tabernacles in us that word that he doesn't live in a tent anymore. He lives mm-hmm. in our bodies and he moves through our bodies with the way we serve and create and love. And the highest picture of that is the union of a man and a woman. And so when you've built a family culture on this theology of our bodies, it's not as shocking of a thing to talk about sexual intimacy as one way that a husband and a wife reveal the love of God because God is after us. If you have high schoolers, if you have older kids, you can explain the gospel to them in this way that our bodies reveal an invisible reality. Our sexuality and the gift of married sex is a visible thing that reveals an invisible truth. And what do we know about Jesus is that he comes into our hearts and he fills us with seeds of faith and our life produces fruit. And we're called to be one with him. We're called to be connected to him in a way that is intimate and powerful. Well, guys, this is to your teenagers. Isn't this amazing? This is why sex is so powerful that a man can come so close to a woman that he actually becomes one with her, deposits seeds of life in her body, bears fruit. That is the corollary. You don't have to get super graphic, but just show them how holy beautiful and powerful it is that all the things God created, we know from Romans 120, all the things in God's natural world point us to what he's like. And humans and our human bodies are the top of his creative order. We are the most glorious piece of his creation. We can be in awe of the mountains and the incredible fish in the sea. But when we look at our bodies, we could say, whoa, I am an image bearer of God. And I know it's a lot for us to process because we've been so lied to and so shut down in this area and disconnected from our bodies. But this is the healing work I believe God's doing in us, in our generation, for our children, because revival is linked to our understanding of this. When we understand the questions of who is God, who am I, and why am I here, you find our body and our sexuality in all of those. Who is God? God is love. Who am I? I am his image bearer. That means I was made to know his love and show his love. And why did he make male and female? What's the deal with that? Because we each uniquely know him and show him to the world. And that is how we understand the love of Christ is when he lives in us and moves through us in relationship, in family. And we understand that our sexuality is not about our identity on our own. It's an identity that points us back to the one who made us. Can we just pause a moment? And like, I just feel like I need to absorb that a little bit. There's so much good stuff. And I want to just pause and say to the moms that are listening, like, when was the last time you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, you are good. I am good. 
I was a good creation of God, my father. He created all this, no matter what it looks like anymore, right? No matter how it might have changed over the years or in what ways the use of your body through sharing it with your children, no matter what uh, that may have done, your body is good and you were beautifully designed by God to show his love to other people. And I just think that's an amazing thing. And I I want to just say to the moms that are listening, like, just maybe pause right now, come back and listen to the rest, but maybe just pause right now and, and think about for the first time, maybe the first time in a while that your body is good. Cause I admit to getting caught up sometimes in the idea uh, that my body is bad. And I don't know that I really think about this in a, like necessarily in a sexual way. I just know that my body is the carrier of me. We know that sin happens on a heart level, right? It's of our heart, but my body is what carries out what's happening in my heart. So there are times when I feel like my mouth is bad or my eyes are bad or my feet that carry me into sin are bad. And there are images in scripture that say, if you're you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. So I think we do at times, and I think I have at times felt like my body is bad because it is what carries me to sin. Yes, sin happens in my heart, but my body is what enables me to carry it out, not just to imagine it or think it, but to do it. So this is helpful to me to kind of look at it from a holistic standpoint. And it's interesting how those philosophies from forever ago, make their way into the way we think about our hearts and our minds and our bodies today. Yeah. I I don't think it's an accident that it's been the perpetual deceiving undertone for all of church history because of how profoundly we were made to embody God's love. And if the enemy can plant seeds of disdain for our body, either sexually disdaining, I mean, God's healed me from hating my female parts. I thought they're disgusting, so disconnected. And he has made me, I just, I just want to say it as a testimony to all of us Christian women. He's made me a sensuous woman. I was not that. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I'm like, if he can take me out of my prude, shameful, disconnected self and integrate me so that I delight not only in my husband, I delight in my body with my husband and I delight in my body as a mother and I can see it all as like one picture and not segmented, he's healed me and he's healing me. And the more healing I get, the more rejoicing I have. And the more I'm like, I want to be more healed because in the garden, we were naked and unashamed in pure, intimate relationship with God and with each other. And that is what the enemy hates. He's the author of all shame. And I will say to echo your conversation about mama, bless your body. And because God laid his hands on them in Genesis 1 and he blessed them and he called them good. And if we want to be in alignment with God, I think of this sometimes as a chiropractic adjustment. Like I'm not a doctor, but maybe I could be a sexual chiropractor (laughs) because I'm like, if we can get a little bit of an adjustment, life will flow so much better. Helpful flow so much better. And so if we just see this, like this belief switch of God, I want to come into alignment with you and what you did in the beginning, because we know when Jesus was questioned in Matthew 19, I believe it is, they were challenging him. What do you say about divorce? What do you say about 
marriage, he said, oh, no, no, guys, they were trying to like trip him up. Is it the law of Moses? Is it good for a man to divorce? Does he need a certificate? And Jesus just stopped them. He's like, no, no, no. In the beginning, it was not so. So when Jesus was asked questions that were hard to answer about sexuality and marriage, he pointed us back to Genesis 1. And he said, look back in the beginning. It was not like this. There was a dream God had in the beginning. And part of that was God putting his hands on the body of a male and a female, blessing them and saying, I bless you from this place of oneness, be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion. It was the first great commission given to a male and a female to become one flesh and to serve the earth from a place of union and unashamed love. But when I have been very honest with myself and I have pressed into intimacy with God and to my husband to the point where I come up against my unwholeness pretty quickly, I realize I don't bless my body. I don't say that it is good. I don't agree with Psalm 139. Marvelous are your works. I see it on my kids. Oh, marvelous are your works. But when I look at my body in the mirror, straight up by myself in my bathroom, do I look at this and say, marvelous are your works? Or do I look for real quick something to cover up with? It reminds me so much of Genesis 3, like let us hide. And that is okay if we're not there yet. I'm, I've been on this journey very intentionally and God's still healing me. But that is where we're heading is integration and healing. And that invitation to be with your God, your maker, and say, God, can I come into agreement with you a little bit more and actually believe that you bless me and you say that this body is good And um, that's been a very healing thing for me as I recover from the purity movement of like, I'm actually not good. I'm Mm -hmm. a stumbling block. And my heart was never to be a stumbling block, but it was told that my body is bad. Your Mm -hmm. cleavage is bad. Your Mm -hmm. tight jeans are bad. And so then you become afraid and ashamed of this good body. And you don't recover from that because you've said marriage vows and gotten a new shiny ring. You recover from that by going back to your maker and saying, God, let me hear from your heart on this, that I am a holy vessel of God made to know love and show love with this body. And it has implications for every area of life. I think what I'm hearing you say, Francie, is that we could try to get practical, but really the most important thing that we need to do if we want healing in this area, is to better understand the heart of God. And to do that, we have to get into his word and we have to understand him. We have to, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to follow the example of Jesus when he said, this is not the way it was go, you know, God made them to be good. We really kind of have to start over again is what I'm hearing you say. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think most of our Protestant church theology and practicality, at least, is based starting in Genesis 3, is that everything Mm -hmm. is messed up. And Jesus Mm -hmm. came to heal everything. Absolutely, Colossians 1, but all things belong to him. And he is the second Adam, which means he came because the first Adam failed. But not just to back us up to Genesis 3, he came to restore Eden, which is God's heart of intimacy and connection to bring us back, to Mm -hmm. reconcile us Eyelash to eyelash is what that reconciliation I learned recently means, like face to face with our God and our maker to strip Satan from all the things he tried to pile on us and degrade us with in those lies and to bring us back to communion. Will we get there to Eden, this side of heaven? No, but that's our journey is we're journeying back to God's heart, back to his ordained intimacy. And it will be messy and there is a battle and there is contention and we're not going to get it all right. But we do have the vision that Jesus says it wasn't like that in the beginning. God had a garden dream in the beginning and his garden dream was that there would be 
unashamed knowing of one another intimately between a husband and a wife and between a God and their people. And that is the core message of the gospel. That is so beautiful. All right. So as parents who are trying to move toward wholeness and healing ourselves, yeah, but also are trying to, I mean, that's just the way it works, right? In any area, not just in our sexuality, but in any area of our lives, we are continuously growing more and more into the image of Christ. I know more about every area of my life now than I did 10 years ago. We are constantly growing and maturing in our faith and in our understanding of the Lord, knowing that that's the case and that none of us are parenting from a place of complete wholeness right now. And we never will. We are whole because Jesus makes us whole, but we are also being made whole. Like you said earlier, what do we need to be praying for ourselves and for our children as it relates to this issue? Can you give us some verses or passages maybe that would direct our prayers in this? Um, I love Ephesians. Honestly, I don't have all my scripture list in front of me and addresses are hard for me. I think it's Ephesians 120. You can correct me on this about we are God's masterpieces. Mm-hmm. And the root word for masterpieces is, is like poema. It's like his handiwork. And I think praying that you would know that and that your kids would know that, knowing that they were made for this time in history. They were born at this time in history, not by accident. And that the only way for us to be masterpieces is to do it with our bodies. And so just praying that we would love the Lord our God with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our heart, that we would be integrated because that's a picture of integration. It's our thinking. It's our strength of our body. It's our heart that we would love him with all of our heart and that we would agree with Psalm 139 that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And I think it's about agreeing. Are we agreeing with our maker or are we agreeing with our enemy? If you kind of simplify it like that, it's a lot easier to see, would God ever put shame on my body? Would God ever bring division in this area? Or is he a good father that wants me to be a flourishing, fully integrated woman who's not ashamed of her body and living in that pain? And I just want to say too, I hear like this is, I have the fear of the Lord on this topic because I I know people are listening to this with so such serious stories. And I just want to affirm your story wherever you've been whatever burden you're carrying, God is like the God of Hagar. He's the God who sees. And I will never be able to see into your story to know the burden you're carrying. And even that was a sexual burden of abandonment and of being taken advantage of. But God is the God who sees and he's not forgotten you. And he's not forgotten the generations that will follow you. And your invitation is to say, here I am, Lord. Search me and know me if there's anything in me that is off and bring me back to your truth. And he will do it. And he will come in. If you say, come in, Lord, to my bedroom, to this most intimate place, there's nothing off limits to you, God. It's the prayer of surrender is really the prayer of sexuality is I give you everything, whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, teenager, 80-year-old, whatever you are, it's a prayer of surrender. Lord, you can have all of me at whatever age and stage you are. And he loves that because he is jealous for that and he wants to come in and fill it. And I also just encourage you as you're praying for your children to bless their bodies and to have as a culture. I love to grab the hands of my little ones and I like washing their hands or drying them. And I just say, oh, I bless these hands. They were made to serve. They were made to create and letting them see the fact that like their gritty body 
is beautiful. And when you start with the innocent parts of their body, just their hands or their feet or their face as you're giving them a bath, they begin to believe the truth. So maybe they'll skip a few of the the roadblocks that we had to plow through, but the truth that God blessed them with his hands, that God called them good. And that as you build that joy of communing with God, with our whole selves into your family culture, God will give you the words you need at different seasons. And I'm praying that God keeps raising up people with resources. I'm, I'm hoping to serve in that way at some point of just more teaching and more equipping so we can have that as a culture in our home, not of fear or judgment or rules, but of integration and of embodied love, which is who we are as Christ carriers. Mm. Francie, I am so grateful that the Lord has done this work in you, that he is still doing this work in you and that you are brave and sharing it with us. Because I feel like what you just said in particular about speaking life over our children, I think I did that in some ways for our children. But I just, I think about the mom of littles that's listening. You've just given her something beautiful. You've given her a gift that she can put into practice right away. And to some extent, maybe with different words, I don't know, you can do this with your teenagers too. People always ask me, well, it's too late. They always say, it's too late for me. My my kids are teenagers. My kids are grown. You know, Maybe it will be awkward in the beginning, but it won't be awkward forever because what you begin to do and continue to do will get some normalcy. And that's the idea is to give them that message in a way that it becomes what they believe about themselves. So thank you so, so much for being here today, Francie, and for being brave enough to share what God has taught you in this and for sharing this message. I would love it if you would take just a second to tell everyone listening where they can find you and how they can get connected with the work that you're doing for the kingdom. Yeah, thanks, Brooke. Um, I have a podcast called Heaven in Your Home, and it's this idea and this prayer that we would host God's presence in every room of our home and that His nearness would be our good. And that as Jesus prayed, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that His kingdom would come in our home as it is in heaven. And that includes the most intimate places. So I talk mostly on this podcast about hosting God in those intimate spaces where we talk about sex, marriage, and the mission of God. Um, so Heaven in Your Home is my podcast, and my website is FrancieWinslow.com, where I have resources, challenges, courses, guides from my podcast series that I've done to help you get connected with the goodness of who God says you are in your body and your sexuality as a woman. And um, yeah, I'm on Instagram and all the places. Awesome. I hope you guys will run and take advantage of all that right now. Everything that we talked about today will also be in our show notes. So if you thought, oh, I, I wanted to grab that, or I wanted to find out more about those songs for little ones that she was talking about or whatever. I'll, I'll put all of that in our show notes so that you have one place to go to get it as well. Till next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.